Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Well, and Michelle, you worked uh, calling games on the most watched television show of the year, uh, you know, statistically with, with Sunday Night Football. So maybe this doesn't really apply to that because it's such a broad audience. Yeah. But I, I see so many executives, and I really do wonder, do they understand their own audience mm. when they're broadcasting <laughs> sports and what a sports fan is like? What's acceptable on an Oscars broadcast to people that are really into the Oscars and watching it are very different than someone that's tuned into South Carolina and North Carolina college football on a Saturday night, right? And I, yeah. I don't. There seems to be a disconnect there with not just media members, but with the bosses of those media members and what sports fans like and what they want. Do you see that? Uh, well, listen. I'll, here, here's where I'll, I'll give you my thirty thousand foot view of that. Is I grew up in Southern California, and I, I was a snotty Southern Californian who thought that you know anyone east of California was probably whatever they weren't that i was one of those dumb elitists that thought that thought the coasts were the place hey we're in nashville well, now, we are wearing shoes right now i do i would like yeah. to tell you i'd show you <laughs> if yeah. i could but we have I shoes love on. nashville <laughs> i love nashville i love tennessee so th- my point is i left southern california i moved to charlotte north carolina and now i'm in the midwest and in all the traveling that i've done I've come to see the folly of my former ways. I've come to see how ignorant I was, how the the blinders that I had on by virtue of where I lived. And, you know, I've got relatives who live on one coast or the other who still have those blinders on. I don't. I, I, I listen, I've lived in the Midwest for the last 25 years. This is flyover country. There's a reason they call it that. They look down on the middle, like uh, somehow we don't matter here in these, the plains and the, you know, all the rest of the, in, 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 yeah, probably the Southeast a little bit too, right? So I think that I never really understood that notion before of flyover country and how much it's ignored. And now I get it. And I got to tell you, um, I'm sure that unless you've lived it and breathed it and experienced it and visited it and been around to understand that people everywhere are really smart and really savvy and really concerned, then you're probably going to ignore it. And that's to their to their detriment to to anyone who has that bi-coastal viewpoint. And that is to their detriment. Michelle Tafoya with us on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Was the criticism warranted for Al Michaels on Thursday Night Football last year, Michelle? I, at times, I can raise my hand and say I felt like the enthusiasm was a bit, uh, it was down. Now, the games weren't all that great. Uh, <laughs> but that factors in. But there was also, um, and, and I'm just reading between the lines here, I felt there was like a, well, the audience isn't the same. It's not as powerful as Sunday night football. I, I don't know if 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 that's really a factor. And Al Michaels is my favorite play-by-play yeah. voice. Yeah, I mine just too. Did, I didn't think it was Al Michaels at the very top like we saw the previous season. 
So Al Michaels is a dear friend of mine. I've spoken to him recently. He was on his way to Philadelphia the last time I talked to him to do a preseason game. And I think Al heard all that. He knows that criticism was out there, right? He heard it all. Um, I, I, I would venture to guess that Al is now aware that that he was being heard a particular way. And again, he he hasn't said this to me. It's mm-hmm. just in our conversations, I feel like, you know, look, Al has been the voice of sports for decades and the fo- the voice of Sunday night football. Um, so as I've always said, even Al at 75% is a little better than most anyone. But I, I don't, I think anyone that wanted to criticize and the fact that there was so much, that's fair. That's fair criticism. And like I said, I'm sure Al heard it. Um, we'll see how he does this year. I, I, I would, I would think you're going to hear a different Al, but again, that's just purely based on my knowledge of the guy and how much his legacy matters to him. Michelle, being a sideline reporter can certainly be a thankless job. Um, And you're right in the muck of all of it. And you're where the emotions are running high and, you know, things happen. I can't recall a time where I, I remember you overly flustered or unprofessional, but have there ever been situations where you cover a certain coach or team and they can be more difficult? And if you want to give a specific example, great. If not, oh, yeah. you can talk in generalities, <laughs> but where it makes it hard for you to do your job and be as professional as possible because a coach or a team is making it so difficult on you. Well, here's the thing. Being professional and doing your job means understanding that the coach doesn't want to see you at halftime. You're the last person they want to talk to, right? With very few exceptions. Now, I would say to you that the vast majority of coaches were great to me at halftime, really were. And I understood when they weren't. Yeah, sometimes it's not, you're spoken to in a way that you wish, come on, just give me something here, right? Or I'm I'm just asking the questions that every other fan in America wants the answer to, no matter how obvious it seems to you. I ha- it's my job to ask the questions, but it's also my job to sort of absorb whatever comes my way. And so, being a professional at that, you just know that comes with the territory. It's not always pleasant, but you got to have a thick skin. You just got to go with it, roll with the punches, and do the best with what you're given. Um, th- I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, the. I wish the, the the halftime interviews were just done off camera and off mic, and then you or anyone would we just relate. We always did them that way. Yeah, it, it, with, you get more you information. Know, you do. You oh gosh, I've had so many phenomenal off camera yeah. interviews. Uh, uh, Greg Popovich, Popovich gave me one of the best ever during a, uh, I think it was a playoff game in the NBA. But yes, I think you get more out of them, and then you can condense it down yes. to what the the fans really want to hear. Just give them the, the the nuts and bolts of it, right? You don't need to add verbiage. It, less is more in that job, quite honestly. And I've I learned that over the course of many many years to be succinct, to just get a point across the the, the most important points, and and deal with what you've got. But yes, I agree with you a hundred. I'll say a thousand percent in the words of my good friend, Al Michaels, a thousand percent that do them off camera, you get more and then you can, you get to sift through it, put something together that is going to hit home with the audience. Given his leanings and your leanings, would Greg Popovich be friendly to you today? If you two spoke? Oh yeah. You know why? Um, the last time I saw Pop was in a hotel in Denver. We were there covering the Broncos. He was there for a game with the Spurs. I saw him in the restaurant. He got up out of his meeting, came over and hugged me. 
I think there's just a mutual respect there. He knew I was busting it every single night. I was do, just working really, really hard. And he knew that. And and I could deal with his stuff, you know. So, yes, I think that Pop and I, uh, I look forward to the day when he's maybe not coaching anymore. I want to call him and just shoot the you know what with him and find out where we really do agree because i think we probably agree on more than we disagree well maybe he'll be a guest on your podcast there uh, you maybe be great, great episode Stay the, tuned. Yeah, yeah. the michelle tafoya podcast available now uh, michelle thank you for the visit hopefully this is the first of several uh here on hot mic it's been great would love it would love it Same. guys appreciate thank you. you michelle thank tafoya you. One of the best there. And she's and, great. And she she came to mind whenever we were mentioning Susie Colber or, you know, the others that were laid off in the recent uh, layoffs at ESPN. Like the 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 journalistic aspect of sports broadcasting is, you know, thrown by the a, wayside. A lot of people who are just good, you know, really good Period. at what they do. And no I, I love that descriptor for someone uh, in yeah. any profession that, oh, they're good at what they do. We don't get that as much now. There's other descriptors around it, not just whether they're good or not. So get it with that podcast there and uh, hopefully the first of several visits with Michelle. Coming up, SEC discussion next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Our thanks to Michelle Tafoya for joining us. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the OutKick network. Coming up uh, in a couple of minutes, we'll discuss the ACC reportedly deciding on expansion, further expansion, this week. Michelle Tafoya has one of those voices that sounds like big event. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I just heard her it talking was, yeah. to us. Every time you hear her voice... I hear like uh, the moments before a kickoff. You know what though? Of a gigantic game or an NBA finals, you know, visit with someone. She's just got one of those voices that sounds big that, time. That's the description that's well said for Al Michaels last season. Yeah. You know, that's he, what changed with that's him. That's the major event status. In in the game itself, the schedule last year, it, whatever. You know, they're down. 9, 10 million viewers on average per week because it went to streaming only. They expected that. Amazon wasn't happy with it. They wanted better games. They've got better matchups on paper this year. And oh, by the way, they just added a, a, the, the Friday game, the Black Friday game. Um, that's the way I would describe it, Chad, is, is Al Michaels, di it didn't feel like big game Al at, at that point. Do you agree? Yeah. Well, it felt um, like he was very dismissive of uh, and some of the games, like of it, being on streaming and the matchups. Yeah, you know, he's even with some of his jokes. He's defensive with like, uh, I mean, what do you expect me to do? Yell and, and be fake? And you know, Nance isn't like that. Tariko's not like. And no, no, no. I'm not. I I was more of his advocate than anything last season because I I still felt like he was better than what any alternative would be, but it didn't have that same push punch to it that you would get on a Sunday night football broadcast where you knew you had the marquee game. You knew if it sucked towards the end of the year, you were going to flex in another game and you're going to be just fine. The game was going to matter. And when you have every team that has to play on a Thursday night and some of those games are throwaway games where you match up 
small market against small market or smaller market against smaller market, which I guess nowadays isn't necessarily true because Buffalo and Kansas City and Cincinnati and others are pretty good uh, on the small market scale there. Um, yeah, I just didn't think that the I, same I, energy was there. And it's not just one or two games. It was kind of the, the gradual effect to it. I remain convinced that there's something done with the audio mixing on the prime video package that was different because even Kirk Herbstreet sounded quiet and subdued compared to the way he sounds on ESPN ABC Saturday Night Football. Hmm. And I don't know. They, they had Fred, Fred Godelli, I think, was the guy mm-hmm. who produced those games for years on Sunday Night Football on NBC that Michelle Tafoya could, I, I know, talk a long time about. There was something different about the production and audio mix on Prime Video that I always felt like I had to turn up the volume. And it's not just that. There was a tone in the voice of Al Michaels that was not quite as excited or as big time, but I swear to you, it sounded more quiet. And maybe I'm just going crazy and losing my hearing. No, Could I also mean, be the case. No, because you don't But you I felt like the audio mix with the crowd and the maybe. mics for the guys just sounded different and more quiet and subdued than it would on Sunday Night Football. Chad, we're, or, or college games with Herb Street, if you want to compare it to Herb Street. Yeah, that's what I said. The, yeah. the ABC, ESPN night games with Herb Street sounds bigger with their voices and louder than it did on Thursday night. Chad, um, football is here, college football. And the SEC and the Big Ten, they are the kings. They are make, the movers and shakers. Everyone else follows. The Big 12, they have a leader Right, they they actually have a commissioner making good decisions, but making those decisions based on decisions made by Texas and Oklahoma and by USC and UCLA, and trying to keep up with just staying relevant instead of being pushed to the wayside, the haves and the have-nots. The haves, no matter what, will be the SEC and the Big Ten. Eyeballs will be on their product, and the top players or what we want to discuss throughout the week going into the season. Chad, the, the, the best of the best on offense. Who's your best Big Ten offensive player? Who's winning MVP for the conference this year? So I would describe both the SEC and the Big Ten as recession-proof conferences. No doubt. They're, they're, the, they're Teflon. They're going to be fine. They're going to add who they want. And even if they don't, they're going to remain relevant and financially solvent for many years to come. Whatever the future of college football, college sports holds, these two conferences will be fine. I kind of feel like we've reached that point with the run game with Jim Harbaugh's offense at Michigan, that the way they play and the identity that they forged, they're going to be pretty good running the football. And I'll tell you who's pretty good running the football, Blake Corum, especially before he got injured late last season, 1,463 yards, 18 touchdowns, right at about six yards per carry a year ago. If I'm picking an offensive player of the year in the Big Ten, I don't think it's J.J. McCarthy as the quarterback of Michigan. I'm going with a running back. This is a throwback. All those NFL guys trying to get paid will love to see something like this. Maybe he wants to move to receiver. Hey, maybe so. Maybe he'll be an outside the <laughs> linebacker when he goes to college. He will, uh, he will identify as a linebacker yes. in the draft instead of a running back because of the way they're getting paid. I think Blake Corum is going to be the best player in the Big Ten this year. 
Uh, a little bit out on a limb to not go well, quarterback receiver, well, but I'm going to go running back in Blake Corum okay. of Michigan. Uh, so I don't think you're crazy here because Blake Corum was on the Heisman track to at least be a finalist. Yeah. And what, it was a meniscus injury, I believe. Yep. Um, and it was the game, it was at Illinois, right before the Michigan-Ohio State matchup. He tried, he tried to play in that game and then could not. So then another star was... I wonder how much it's lead back Blake Corum versus Corum is the 55%, 60% guy, and they start sharing more carries. That's the only hesitation I had because Corum's not a bad pick because you can get the ball a ton. Yeah, I think yeah, I think he's more 65, to your point, Hutton, of getting the touches. But I think that 65% could be good enough for him to be the best offensive player in the Big Ten this year with, with Michigan's offensive line and how they run it. So um, I'm going Blake well, Corm as my offensive. Can I give a special mention? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if, I'm going to go dark horse on both of these candidates uh, to win MVP on offense. Talia Tungavailoa at Maryland. Okay. A year ago, threw for over 3,000 yards, 18 touchdowns, eight interceptions. They return a lot on offense. Mike Loxley, this their coach, me. even said, we're ready to contend. Not six, seven wins. We're ready to, con- to contend in the Big Ten this year. They avoid Wisconsin and Iowa out of the Big Ten West this year. Of course, they're in the, the Big Ten East, which is very, very difficult. Uh, with their schedule and who they're going to be playing on that side. But I, I think he's got a chance. There's not a lot of returning star quarterbacks in the league in the Big Ten this year. You got a, a big transfer going from Michigan to Iowa and Cade McNamara, J.J. McCarthy, Ohio State breaking a new quarterback. Talia Tungavailoa, keeping my eye on him, Hutton. Uh, Dark Horse candidate. Okay. They, they were, this would be a shock to me as a Dark Horse candidate for MVP. That's why that's why it's dark horse. Uh, I I would be pretty shocked. Honorable too. Mi- mention. So, who are you going yeah, with Hutton for Big Ten? It's the MVP? obvious one. It's it's Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, and look, uh, he's already being described as the NFL prospect at wide receiver that we've all been longing for: speed, agility, body control, lineage, no doubt. He wins at every level of the field. He's a, a 50-50 receiver, but also route running and doing everything to make spectacular grabs. The routine. 1,200 yards receiving a year ago, and he did that with a stacked wide receiver room. He was the best guy on the team last year at that position in that room. If you ask the NFL scouts, that's the guy that they want. And this is a group with Jackson Smith and Jigba, for instance. 14 touchdowns last season. Um, He had five or more receptions in all but two games with Ohio State. Now he's back, and he's with Kyle McCord at quarterback, not C.J. Stroud, but he played high school ball with Kyle McCord. And I think that duo is going to be as consistent as any quarterback-wide receiver pairing across college football. The numbers will speak for themselves. The hype is already there. And if he just goes out and produces at this level again – He's already set the bar that he will meet, and then he'll meet the expectation of being the best offensive player in the Big Ten. And that's with me acknowledging Chad's answer on Corum. Corum's also going to be viewed as that guy. And if Corum does this, McCarthy's not going to get credit for it. In some ways, 
McCord would also get the benefit of racking up the stats and yards by throwing it to Harrison. But again, it's Harrison on offense. He's the known name, and he's the guy that we've been talking about. Alongside C.J. Stroud, who got all the hype last year going into the season, going into the draft, we were talking about next year's draft and where we could see Marvin Harrison Jr., where we could see him possibly be on the Arizona Cardinals roster, uh, paired with Caleb Williams with the number one and number two overall pick. Arizona's going to see to it that happens, too. They're battling it out right now between Josh Dobbs and Clayton Toon to be the opening day starting quarterback. So there's tanking, and then there's tanking. And that is tanking is what's happening in the desert right now. So they may very well have both those guys. That's how good Marvin Harrison Jr. is. Chad, on the SEC side, I'm going go to go way off the wall here. So far off the wall that this is a guy that Nick Saban won't even say if he's the starting oh. quarterback or not. In fact, Nick Saban, such a distraction, he won't name a single starter at any position. He's done with depth charts. Not going to do it. Wants all of his guys feeling like starters. Maybe number eight in your playbook, but Chad. he's number one in your heart. Whatever position, whatever number the player is, doesn't matter. Nick Saban wants you to know that he does not want them to feel like non-starters. I'll tell you who's going to be the starter at Alabama. It's the guy who started when Bryce Young went down a year ago. Jalen Milrow is going to be the starter. Jalen Milrow, not a great passer last season. Nick Saban, he won't speak on a depth chart, but he has spoken a number of times <laughs> about how much more accurate and better in the pocket Milrow has been. He's also a guy capable of ripping off a 77-yard touchdown run, yeah. which he did in Fayetteville, Arkansas, to save Alabama's bacon in that game. Jalen Milrow is on what I think is going to be the best team in the SEC in Alabama, and he is a starting quarterback for Alabama with a lot of talent around him. I'm going out on a limb, but Jalen Milrow, your offensive MVP wow. in the SEC this, this season. Is, see, Milrow's the reason why I'm concerned about Bama being ranked at, at number four right now going into the preseason, week one. Um, he'll put on a show this Saturday, but when it actually comes down to does he make the throw on the game-winning drive to go get the kick where you win on your final possession instead of lose? That's my only hesitation. And it doesn't look like Saban's hesitating all that much. You're right. There is a confidence, cocky little swagger to everything he's been saying. Uh, and a relaxed feel, too, now, on you, the mic. Now, many could argue that was my dark horse uh, favorite, but that is my favorite is Jalen Milrose. Can I give you my dark horse quickly? Yes. Connor Wigman at Texas A&M. Paired with Bobby Petrino. I think he's got everything it takes to be a star QB in the SEC, and he finally does not have Jimbo Fisher interfering with the offense to the level that he was that was hurting A&M. Jimbo Fisher took a big step in acknowledging that maybe he was the problem in play calling, bringing in Bobby Petrino. Connor Wegman's got tons of talent around him on the outside, too. He's going to have a big season. Chad? My best offensive player in the SEC at the end of the season is Quinchon Judkins at Ole Miss. You don't think of run game when you think of the Ole Miss Rebels, but trust me when I say Lane Kiffin runs the football. Middle of last year, they were running it 58% of the time, and they were doing so with a first-year running back who came onto the scene, carried the ball nearly 280 times, had nearly 1,600 yards rushing and added 16 touchdowns running the football. He also added catches out of the backfield, 15 to 20 receptions there. 
and he has a chip on his shoulder with the media going into this season, year number two, where he's saying, hey, it's me. I am the best running back in college football, and I'm here to prove it. Ole Miss is always on that fringe level, right there in the middle of the SEC West. If they rely on him, they'll pull off one or two upsets we're not looking for. And if they don't, they start spinning the rock because, I mean, that's how you get the quarterbacks to transfer there, and that's what Kiffin's done. They'll be making the, the worst decision based on what is the best running back in the SEC, and you have plenty of time with him. I love this game, and I love how he can take over a game week in and week out. Judkins, offensive MVP. There's a reason Ole Miss ponied up with NIL, I'm sure. He could have gone anywhere in America. I thought that I, didn't work there. I, I love him. I thought it was hard to get people to go to Oxford. Well, maybe to get them to go, but getting them to stay when you offer them a check, okay. they'll they'll gladly just, stay. That's what Quinshawn Jenkins did. I love him as a player. He's going to have a big Fun year. to watch. Yeah, just playing the wrong position for the NFL, Jeff. Yeah, he's going to go to slot receiver. That's yeah. what he's going to identify as when he gets ready for the draft. Is Stanford and Cal going to the ACC? We should have a decision from the conference this week. Details next on Hot Mike. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Henry Withrow across the Outkick Network. Chad, how's the chat today? Oh, it's on fire. Um, someone asked why any show does predictions before a season because every show does it. Allie asked Some good that. Props. And I said, um, I do it so everyone can make fun of me when I'm yeah. dead wrong. It's self deprecating, but brings the audience in on the fun. At least that's why we do it. That's what I told Allie. And well, that's what I tell everyone else. And now. Allie, by doing so, we're we're also pissing off eleven other fan bases. You know, for the thirteen other, soon to be sixteen. Allie just said, "I hear you." This is what I do, Hutton. I bring people together. It's not about you know, dividing. It's about bringing people. I give it a, an explanation. Come on, come on. Someone comes at me. All are welcome. And instead of just responding <laughs> with hatred and vitriol, I respond with a logical answer. And then, you know what, Allie, all she has to say is, I hear you. I, I love that, Allie. Great response by you. First, a great response by me. Hmm. That led to that great response by you. I appreciate it. We love you. Thank you for chiming in on the chat. Chat is on fire today, Hutton. Tim Brando will be as day. well coming up in about 40 minutes. Always love talking with Timmy B, uh, talking college football, and instead of the future, which he hates, the present, which he loves. Uh, looking forward to it. Um, Chad, bringing... People together in the chat, bringing teams together, potentially in the ACC. Or is it the Big 12? Um, so the ACC, um, on uh, reading this through ESPN, and look, ESPN should have this totally covered based on their, their media rights deal uh, with the conference. Yeah, how uh, does anyone else get any of the news exactly. on media rights other than ESPN? No doubt. On any leak. 
Yeah. They could have the news reported on every league based That's on their an, relationships. Another great point. Especially in college. Uh, but now the headline is continued momentum for the ACC to add schools. Now the three that we know that they're pondering at least, Stanford, Cal, and SMU. Touched on it last week. Um, at least in some regard, all three schools are making concessions in order to potentially join, begging to join. SMU, it's been reported they're willing to not take a media rights payment for upwards of maybe even up to seven years, which is crazy to think about. Uh, from the Stanford and Cal perspective, maybe 30% of what a tier one payment would be for ESPN per, per program uh, in, in football for the ACC, that would be between somewhere between seven to ten million dollars annually. And if you add in all three, it comes up to around fifty five million dollars that they could the ACC would save to then distribute to other programs. But would they do that evenly? Would they not? Would they pay Clemson and Florida State what they want and no one else? Tons of questions with all of that. But uh, Pete Thamel with the report, that a source described the situation as a, a dichotomy as of today, uh, this afternoon. There's anticipation that the additions are happening, but the same people are preparing for that are preparing for expansion aren't certain that it's going to happen, according to the source, nor are they certain of what school will flip. They've got to have one school flip from a no to a yes. And the votes that took place, which, again, I don't know why you vote if you don't know you have it, because it makes the second vote... It makes it look stupid. ...that much more difficult. You know who you're lobbying. And you should do that behind the scenes instead Remember how the of SEC publicly. always has unanimous votes? Isn't that something? On everything? Because they Big know going Big 10 as well, in. right? Remember, how, remember how Texas A&M bitched Big and 12 bitched? Big 12 as well. Remember how Texas A&M bitched and bitched about Texas joining the conference publicly? Yeah, yeah. And then when they sat down at the table to vote, and Greg yeah. Sankey said, all four Texas and Oklahoma joined the SEC. I and Texas A&M raised their hand and said, I, with the rest of the conference, and they had a unanimous vote. It's incredible when you have synchronicity within your conference. These other conferences clearly don't have that, the ACC being one of them. There is a president's call tonight. For the ACC, a vote could take place, and it's also been said that so they need one of the four no votes, the dissenting votes, to flip. North Carolina, NC State seem to be voting the same way. Um, Clemson and Florida State also said no to the additions of Stanford and Cal. Now SMU is also in the mix. Now it you don't take another vote unless you know you've got the flip. Period. But th this makes it seem like they're still a bit uncertain based on the source that Thamel's talking to, even though it's been reported that the ACC has the amount of votes they need. If they did, this report wouldn't be out there. It's interesting. And then you have the Big 12. So, so Th here's, This is the most interesting part to me. Well, it's what should be done. Well, but I want to see... I, I wanna, so here's Michael Silver, who is a... He's cow all the way. He's a cow bear. Tweets this. As Cal and Stanford attempt to finalize the deal with the ACC, the Big 12 has surfaced as another potential landing spot. In that scenario, the remaining Pac-12 schools, including Oregon State and Washington State, could also join the Big 12. Uh, and he's uh, tagging uh, the San Francisco Chronicle there. I see this, Chad, and I think 11th hour negotiation tactic where you don't want... You, the Big 12 has said they're done. Your mark has said... We're done for now. 
We feel good about the teams we've added. We have the four corner schools, and now we assess where we'll be in the future. If the ACC knows that, then they're just dragging their feet trying to get a vote flipped. But if you go into the president's meeting tonight and you think, oh, uh, the Big 12 is also involved, does that help Stanford and Cal go ahead and get done what they want done in this vote? That certainly helps Notre Dame. They wouldn't be included in the ACC discussion if not for the Irish. The Irish are the ones that have really started this publicly. And then you have, of course, uh, Condoleezza Rice backing Stanford, lobbying on their behalf. You think this is more negotiation push to help the case of Stanford Cal, or do you think the Big 12 is actually discussing adding four more to the conference? Why not just add those four when you added the other ones? If you really wanted to just take, well, if you maybe, wanted everyone out of the maybe Pac-12, because they didn't you take, could they didn't have had them take less money on the media deal. Now they're yeah, willing that, to well, do that. Well, that's 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 what gives me pause about this. What I'm saying, like well, they would have just done it then. He added his four, and then Brett Yormark himself said, uh, "We're done right now." With adding more schools. Well, but I didn't hear the. I would like to see them. I'd like to see those four schools have a home, and it yeah. makes more sense in the in the Big Twelve than it does the ACC. For it those, does, no those, doubt. Especially those Bay Area schools, Pacific Northwest, with Washington State and and Oregon State. But I just keep coming back to, it's like a few good men. Why the two orders? Well, well they, why did you order up one big serving of Pac-12 schools and mutilation? of that conference, and then you're going to go back and order a second serving? Why not just pull the Band-Aid off all at once and take all of the programs you wanted then instead of waiting around and doing this twice? I can't get past that question. See, I, I, I agree with you. The Big 12, number one, they've always – your mark has been on top of this. Right, he's been the driving force. He's been very good in all of this, and, and foreseeing what's what's to play. Like he's he's trying to play his cards to keep up. Meanwhile, the ACC had that meeting when you had the four programs vote no. Nothing was reported at that time that Stanford and Cal were willing to take less on the media rights deal, which, according to the deal with ESPN, they, ESPN has to pay a, a tier one price for every program added within the conference. So if they're getting the same payout, again, just I'm trying to theorize why we've had the two different reports. You vote no, and then after you're voted out, Notre Dame didn't get us in, so we've got to come up with another plan. Well, they unleashed the lobbyists, Laura Bush on SMU's case, because SMU apparently didn't even come up for vote. And then on behalf of Stanford, you have Condoleezza Rice. You also have Notre Dame, who has voting power, but they're not a full ACC member. There's reasons why others don't like voting with Notre Dame because they're not a full member, but they have a full vote. Chad, I, I wonder if they just went back to the drawing board after they didn't make it the first one and said, how do we do this monetarily where it's feasible to make the jump? We're relevant. We stay within you know, the conversation of college football. What do we have to do to make it right? And they've started these negotiations with the ACC. And now it's either the Big 12 knows, oh, they're willing to take less, far less, or it's just a bit of information that helps push this down the road a bit further to where the presidents of the ACC have a meeting tonight. Yeah, I think it's just also those schools doing their due diligence when they see the Pac-12 fall apart. They're just keeping open lines of communication with Big 12, ACC, whoever, 
and trying to leverage it to find the right spot. You're in no position to not speak to anyone if you're those teams, even if it's the Mountain West or the West Coast Conference in, in basketball and other sports. You have to talk to someone. So I think you're just keeping your ears open and making sure you're talking through all possibilities because you're not in a position to not hear someone out if you're any of those schools. Well, the other interesting part is it was the Big 12 that wanted to at least float the idea of a merge with the Pac-12. Was this two years ago? A year ago? No, they did that when Texas and Oklahoma left. Yeah, two years ago. When, the, when Texas and Oklahoma left. Announced, yeah. Then they went and said, this is going to start happening to you too. They didn't listen. A couple months later... USC, UCLA, Bolt. Well, uh, no, a year later. July to July. It was July yeah, 4th weekend. That's right. So both. one year apart. So then they, they had the foresight to see, you're in trouble also. Pac-12 said, no, we're not. That's a you problem, mm-hmm. not us. Then it became a Pac-12 problem, and it all could have been stopped with but, a merger before that. Yeah, but now, I mean, if, if the scenario happens where you take the other four, you've, you've just, I mean, you've, you've, you've had the merger, but you didn't pay the price. You just handed the conference. Yeah, but you don't get Oregon I, I or Washington. Just, I mean, but at some Utah. point, well, at some point, though, is that going to make sense for everyone when you're giving out so many allotments of, of money no. to all these different programs? So you're going to have to look at that, too. I believe Brett Yormark when he said we're done. Things can always change. But I, I see this more as Mike Silver is reporting what Cal and Stanford are hoping based on them constantly talking to all these conferences and, Cal, and it's keeping re- every possibility open. It's reported that Cal is in uh, really bad shape athletic department-wise in debt. So, um, again, it, relevance matters right now, just finding a home base. I'm telling you. To tag along. Some of the, uh, and Cal may be one of them. Some of these programs are probably just going to be like, you know, we're a really good school and we don't need the football program. Um, we're not going to play football at this level. And maybe they make that determination because they don't have a home and they're not getting a handout with a big media Man. payment year after year. But if you can tag along and get an $80 million, whatever. Well, it's great if you, you can know, tag along. But, over a five-year deal. But if you can't, you're out. You're done. I mean, Cal's in, in, uh, in financial problems now. Yeah. Chad, uh, DirecTV and the Pac-12 network, USC has recently announced a partnership with DirecTV. Well... The issue is USC, their first two games are on the Pac-12 network, uh, but DirecTV doesn't have the Pac-12 network offered through their packages. Um, you feel the wrath of this if you're a, a Nexstar ABC affiliate, for instance. We're in this area here where if you have DirecTV, you don't have Nexstar programming. And we don't have the ability, if, you're, if you have DirecTV, to watch the Pac-12 network, uh, which is the official partner the official partner of Trojan football, Trojan athletics. And they mentioned something about, well, you, you know, the AC, we do offer the ACC network and we have a sports pack and regional sports. You know, it's funny because they don't, the USC doesn't play an ACC school to even have the opportunity to be on the ACC network this year. So they tried the PR swing with that, but didn't work because the schedule that they didn't look at didn't match up with the programming that they actually do offer. It's only two games. But off to a rocky start as far as the partnership's concerned. Why the disputes? we got to end the disputes. All the disputes do is make sure that people are going quicker to streaming only and cutting the cord when there's all these disputes via direct TV, cable companies, and, and certain uh, affiliates, everything that goes on. we got to stop it. 
Got to stop it. You're just guaranteeing more and more people are going to go away from it. Yeah. And you have, you've got the, you know, the viewer. It's already, already difficult to find. Pac-12 network. Yeah. Yeah. And to see, this you know what else is difficult to find? Guys on the USC defense that can tackle. That if, if you watch Here, the here's, game here's on the only thing I hope for with that. you, were, you were, had a hard time finding that. The tra- they have four or five transfers coming in on defense. It either is taking a little while to get up to speed and they'll be better, they'll be adequate, or USC's not winning a national championship. No. They're not going to the college football playoff in Caleb Williams' final year. But they'll score a lot of points. Uh, they, they will do that. He may win another Heisman. More headlines next when we return. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. <laughs> 